Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Resilience of the Rocks podcast. I'm your host, Stevie G. This podcast is primarily geared to provide listeners with tangible concepts that they can relate to, as well as using their personal lives. Each episode is unique as we bring down-to-earth guests with many perspectives and practical advice. It's for anyone that needs that nudge to push through life and align with their passions. We hope that you are able to enjoy each episode just as much as we do. Feel free to follow us on all social media platforms and share this podcast with someone you know. Because we all have our successes and failures, but getting through the storm is the most rewarding. So for now, sit back and pour yourself a glass. Resilience on the rocks. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Resilience on the Rocks. I'm your host, Stevie G, and with me today, I have another one of my Marine brothers, John Drago. Uh, actually, I know John Drago from back in the day. We actually went to high school together. We were in the ROTC program way when we were little kids before we thought we were going to become United States Marines. So he's a brother. He's a friend. Yeah, it's good to catch up after all these years of not really being in contact. So, John, uh, welcome to the show. Hey, brother. Thanks for having me, man. It's, it's an honor to be here. Uh, and most importantly, great to see you again. I know it's been probably uh, 10 plus years since we last saw each other in person. And I was, yeah, hoping, we could do this. I was hoping we could do this in person, but I know we got some busy schedules. But hey, I'm just grateful that technology gives us the opportunity to do this virtual, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. I definitely got to take a trip down to you because you're in the, the Jacksonville area, correct? Yeah, I'm just right outside of Camp Lejeune. Uh, so oh, man. Yeah, I got to take a trip to see you for sure. But, uh, John, go ahead and uh, tell everybody who you are, a little bit about your background, you know, who you are and how you got to where you are today. So, obviously, after, you know, we graduated high school, uh, we both left New Jersey, probably the best decision we both did, right? Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I enlisted in the Marine Corps. I think you joined before I did, didn't you? Yeah, so I joined June of 2011. Yeah. So you, you left a couple of years before I did. Uh, I joined uh, right towards the end of 2012, right after I graduated. And, um, you know, I ended up down here in Jacksonville where I spent my entire military career at in Camp Lejeune, um, just short of six years. And ultimately, I was medically retired because I was injured uh, while in active duty. You know, I got some uh, issues with my lower back that I had to uh, pretty much overcome, but ultimately, you know, I was ended up, you know, ended up getting medically retired. And uh, once I got out, <clears throat> you know, family and friends were here, so I decided to just stay down here and see what uh, the route that I could pursue. Um, and you know, I decided to pretty much go back to school, um, earn my bachelor's degree, went back to school also, and then. Um, ended up going to the basic law enforcement training program down here at the community college, uh, where I ultimately graduated from. And, and, and from there I became a deputy sheriff, uh, where I worked for pretty much almost four years, just sort of four years. And, uh, um, went back to school and, uh, graduated with my master's degree. And I just felt like, Hey, I, I need to continue educating myself. And now as of November, uh, I took a full-time role. I uh, worked for a nonprofit uh, out of Charlotte, North Carolina, and I pretty much I'm the area manager for 15 counties in, in, in southeastern North Carolina, 
And my job is to pretty much uh, work with law enforcement and the court system to try to decriminalize the veteran before they can uh, get involved within the criminal justice system. So we do that by two different ways. Is Number one is by training off law enforcement officers to how to properly de-escalate and how to properly uh, engage with veteran in crisis and how to de-escalate them, how to approach them, how to pretty much uh, connect with them. Uh, luckily down here, we do have a lot of officers who are veterans themselves. So that establishes a connection between the veteran and the officer, but we also have a lot of officers who are not veterans. So that's when we come in uh, and pretty much provide that training to those officers um, and, and get them pretty much to understand how veterans think. And, and the, the most important thing to, to remember is that a lot of these veterans in this area, they're very highly trained. So, you know, they, yeah. they, and they have a lot of, you know, good training. So the potential for a bad situation to, you know, to happen is there. So well, we want to keep everybody safe, you know, officers, you know, our the officer safety is always going to be paramount. And but we also want the veteran to be taken care of. So we're also working together with the court system uh, to establish veteran treatment courts here in North Carolina. There's already six of them. And uh, so we help them pretty much get those grants and, and get the paperwork started. And, 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 and we pretty much provide them with the different resources that's going to allow the veteran to get back, uh, back in the streets and be a better member of society, you know, uh, pretty much whether they're struggling from mental health, uh, substance abuse, or whatever it may be, our goal is to pretty much get that veteran back uh, uh, back on, on um, to society as a, as a, uh, you know, giving them a second chance, depending on, on obviously, th and this is only for uh, uh, your nonviolent violent crimes that uh, we, we try to pretty much uh, provide a second uh, chance to the, to the veteran. But we also provide uh, different uh, resources for veterans, uh, whether they're, you know, they're, they're unemployed, whether they, uh, they're struggling just pretty much maintaining ends meet and, or paying the bills or, or mortgage, whatever they may be. We come in and, and we assist that veteran uh, getting back on their feet. So that's pretty much, you know, everything that I have been doing in the past 10 years now. Um, what questions do you have for me? Oh man, I got a bunch, but I want to say that's awesome that you're still working with veterans. I myself, uh, as I transitioned out, I work with veterans. Uh, I'm a veteran recruitment specialist for a uh, defense manufacturing school awesome. out in uh, Danville, Virginia. So that's awesome because I know you definitely have that uh, that pride of belonging, that sense of helping out the brothers who are either still serving or they're done serving. So definitely Correct. giving back to the veteran community. That's awesome, brother. Uh, I do want to ask you this, man. Because uh, just because, excuse me, because we haven't spoken in a while, man. What made you end up uh, enlisting into the Marines? So you know, when we were in high school. Uh, you know, being part of the ROTC program kind of did molded me a little bit towards uh, having a military career after high school. I knew that I wanted to go back to school sometime, but at the time I, I wasn't ready for it. Um, yeah. I wasn't matured enough for it. And, and 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 my mother, being a single mother, she, she didn't have the financial capabilities to pretty much put me through school. So it, it was either I get a scholarship or somehow, or me, I go to the military. And at the time, you yeah. know, being 17, uh, I decided that it was going to be more beneficial for me to enlist in the Marine Corps and, and pretty much build a foundation through the military. So, uh, you know, my mom, had, she pretty much had to sign the waiver for me because I was underage 
And that's how oh, yeah. I enlisted in the Marine Corps. And um, initially, I was going to join the Navy, to be honest with you. But, you know, the day I showed up to the recruiter's office, the, the <laughs> recruiter wasn't even there. So I'm like, I had an mm. appointment, but the guy wasn't even there. So, you know, just ultimately ended up in the in the Marine Corps uh, recruiter's office and, and, and it just went from there. So, but again, um, it's probably the best decision I ever made in my life. I don't regret it. I'm very proud of it. Um, I'm a proud veteran, proud Marine, and, and once Marine, always a Marine. So, yeah. Awesome, brother. For sure. For sure. I think we're on the same page of why we, um, excuse me, why we joined the Marines. Similar scenario for me. And then, so you're in the Marines. You do what, six years, correct? How many years? Yeah. So I spent about um, five years and like 11 months um, before I was medically retired. Um, my first four years, you know, I was uh, a diesel mechanic and uh, pretty much worked on all the diesel equipment that the Marine Corps had, has. And um, while doing that, I decided that, hey, I didn't really want to continue to pursue that that MOS. And I wanted to kind of do a little bit more challenging for me that was going to be mentally and physically more challenging. And uh, I got the opportunity to uh, go work as an enabler um, with the 2nd Marine Raider Battalion, where I kind of spent some time there for a couple of years. And uh, being there kind of motivated me to pretty much pursue uh, an opportunity to try out to be a Raider. So I did, um, which was pretty, it was awesome chapter of my life um, because, you know, I was not a swimmer at all. And to be, to be a Raider, to be, you know, go through that selection, you have to be, you have to be a fish, you know, um, oh, yeah. not like a Navy SEAL, but you still have to be up there, you know, and comfortable in the water. Comfortable being uncomfortable in the water, I should say. And, and, oh, yeah. and it, it took a lot of commitment from my side. Uh, pretty much had to, you know, train for an entire year. All I did was spent hours, countless of hours in the pool, training, trying to better myself. Um, and, and, and luckily, I had some really good mentors that took me under the wing and provided me some uh, uh, some resources. And ultimately, I did. Uh, I ended up attending uh, the selection process for about six weeks in 2016. And, and it was a really good time, very cool experience uh, because you're pretty much the best of the best shows up, you know, whether you think you're, yeah, you're the sure. best, you're competing with the best of the best in the Marine Corps. So I remember um, it was about a 331 of us who showed up on day one and uh, only 31 of us pretty much made it out of there, handpicked, selected to become special operators. Um, and that was a pretty good experience. I learned a lot from it, both from the physical and mental aspect. Uh, your mind, you become so strong after you, you know, you're, you're put through so many tests for six weeks that quitting is not a thing, you know? So it, it, it does build a foundation for the rest of your life. And, and, and even though I ended up getting injured and, and, and couldn't really pursue that route, um, I got medically retired, but it, it did set a foundation for the rest of my life because no matter what I do in life, whether it's work or, you know, law enforcement, whatever it may be, nothing's ever gonna put me to a, a distress level that I was placed at when I attended that selection. So yeah, I know what my body is capable of, and I, I definitely know what my mind is capable of. So, and that's pretty much the biggest lesson that I took from that. And I'm extremely humble, grateful for it, and uh, I'm very proud of that. For sure, man. I'll tell you what, I didn't know any of that. 
like over the time like i just yeah. watch from facebook and i see that you're doing well i had no idea that you was on that journey and i'll bring it back man as marines we always tell people you know during those 13 weeks you can never imagine unless you went through it and we're really proud of that and we tell each other like hey if i could survive that i could survive anything exactly. but then you go and take the ultimate test and you go amongst the elite of the elite and now you really get a taste of being like man if i could get through this mm-hmm. then what else is going to be hard so i think that's awesome that you have that mindset you you built that mindset real early in, in, a, in a young age right yep, yep. so unfortunately right you get medically retired and then you move over to be uh to the sheriff's department correct like, yeah um, fast forward right yeah once i once i was medically retired uh which was a process about six to eight months of you know pretty much just kind of planning everything and and, and just trying yeah. to transition into the civilian world because you got to remember you know at 17 i joined the military and, and then for the, almost six years had a stability you know i was told where to be what time to be what to wear yep and you know <clears throat> it was a, a daily routine that pretty much you can't really get out of so when you transition out of the military a lot of veterans struggle to pretty much adapt back to society because they don't have that, yeah. that schedule, that daily uh, mm-hmm. mentorship. So I, I felt like, hey, you know, I kind of needed that that purpose. And, and and as a kid growing up, I always wanted to be in, in law enforcement, especially because I grew up in Colombia and law enforcement on there, you know, they're they're not as respectable as they are in here in the United States. So um, yeah. You know, I finally, I, I took the courage and I decided, hey, let me pursue this. You know, let me take this challenge of my life. So I did, uh, I went to the police academy here. I put myself to the police academy because at the time, um, you know, the police departments were failed. There was no such thing as uh, defund the police or no such thing as, you know, uh, vacancies or people offering bonuses for people to join law enforcement. So, um, you know, I, I paid out of pocket for my schooling and, and, and you know, put myself through that. And many of us in my class, we did, I think we started with like 25 and, and you see the top picture right there. Um, only like yeah. 15 of us actually, you know, graduated. Um, but at the end, you know, I did, um, I got hired with a local sheriff's office, a uh, very rural uh, sheriff's office here in Eastern North Carolina, where I pretty much worked for about almost two years. Got some experience there. Uh, met some really good people. Um, got my feet wet a little bit. And um, yeah, ultimately, that's where I decided, hey, I want to kind of take it to a, a different step. And um, uh, I joined the SWAT team, tried out for the SWAT team. Uh, I was one of the youngest guy in the SWAT team, actually. Uh, I was probably at six months right before I tried out for the SWAT team and I made it to SWAT team. And, uh, you know, got to do some cool trainings, you know, some cool uh, uh, call outs, as we call it. And then um, yeah. once from there, I moved down to another sheriff's office, uh, just different county, neighboring county. Uh, we're pretty much the same thing. Worked worked work, worked as a patrol deputy, a twelve-hour shift, rotating shift, you know, night shift, day shift, and you're dealing in, you know, you're, you're dealing anything from, you know, your average call for service, whether it's a domestic, uh, larcenies, uh, down to you know murders, whatever it may be, you know, drugs, vehicle stops, anything. And I also that's awesome. I also joined the SWAT team on, on that on that at that agency, um, and, you know, got to attend more training meet more you know more people and network a little bit more and uh, that's where i decided hey i went back to school while i was working there and uh pursue my master's degree and, and i graduated with my master's degree and i really didn't have any intentions of leaving full-time you know law enforcement but you know the door opened up for me um 
where this nonprofit pretty much kind of reached out to me and said, hey, uh, we're starting a, a program that is being funded by the state of North Carolina to pretty much assist the veterans, you know, who, who come in contact with law enforcement. And, and, and in my experience uh, as a patrol deputy, I did encounter many veterans that were in crisis, but the resources were limited. So that kind of motivated yeah. me a little bit, um, kind of motivated me a little bit to take that route. And, uh, but at the same time, um, the danger of, of, of being in law enforcement, especially as a deputy sheriff in a rural county where, you know, you really spent most of your time by yourself, uh, your backup is 20 to 30 minutes away. And then, you know, now that I have a, a daughter or family, things kind of change, you know, the perspective begin to change. So it's no longer about you, but it's, it's more about your family, your kids. So stars lined up and, uh, you know, I, I took the opportunity. That's great. And it's great, man. Awesome, dude. That, that's sweet. So I know before we uh, we jumped on, we were talking a little bit on Messenger, and uh, the main topic that you wanted to talk about was physical fitness and mental toughness. And as soon as you said that, I was like, yeah, let's do it. Yeah. Uh, so let me ask you this. Being in law enforcement, what is the real, I guess, level of physical fitness and mental health that you need to obtain, or why is it important? So, Wait, I know it's a loaded question. Yeah, so um, I'm, I'm talking for about North Carolina here, you know, specifically. So um, when we go to, to our basic law enforcement training here in North Carolina, you know, every student or candidate that is in the class needs to meet the, the bare minimum physical fitness standards. And that that's called uh, um, a pulpit. I would call it pulpit. It's pretty much a physical fitness test, you know, where you have to jump over, over a fence, do push-ups, you know, drug, uh, drag a, a dummy out of harm's way. Um, and pretty much puts you to a test where, hey, yes, you are at the uh, at the uh, the right level of physical fitness to become a police officer or, or deputy sheriff, right? Um, but once you graduate from that, you know that's no longer a thing. You know, you, you go to a you work for agency uh, or sheriff's office, yeah. wherever it may be, and and that agency may not have a physical fitness requirement. So at that point, it becomes your your responsibility as an individual. To keep up with your own uh, uh, physical fitness standards, and and, and unfortunately, um, many officers uh, pretty much just kind of um, you know get occupied with work, with life, a family that they they kind of um, they pretty much um, ignore the physical fitness aspect, and and, and unfortunately, uh, I, many of my friends, many of the officers that I know, you know, you know have gotten hurt while doing the job because, Hey, they could have been, if they would have been in a better physical fitness, uh, uh, standard, uh, personal, you know, they could have, you know, avoided a situation. So, uh, and, and physical fitness goes in hand with mental, mental, uh, mental, uh, toughness, you know, the way we call it. Right. So, uh, if you're, if you're, if you're physically fit to pretty much, uh, be able to, uh, perform at the best of your abilities, your, your mind, it's also going to be at the best, you know, best level. Um, but if you, if you just lack in one or the other, you're not going to be able to perform at the, at the best of your ability. So um, what I do now is, you know, because of everything, all the people that I have met, all the training that I have been to, um, a lot of the instructors, you know, and uh, I have, I don't know if you know about this, but, um, but if you have heard my podcast that I did uh, back in October, I talked about the two uh, critical incidents that I that I have been to. Uh, one of them I talked to in detail. The other one I really don't. 
And uh, when an officer uh, experiences a critical incident, which it's just a matter of time, you know, uh, I was actually just doing some training uh, earlier and, and, and part of the training talks about critical incidents of stress and, and talks about how during an average career of a law enforcement officer, that individual is going to experience over 188.5 critical incidents of their within their career. You know, whether it's a 20 or 30 year career, that officer is going to be exposed to many critical incidents. Um, whether it's, you know, seeing, you know, a murder or a rape, whatever it may be, or, you know, whether it's an officer involved shooting, you know, a vehicle chase, something that's going to put that officer's stress level to the top where they normally wouldn't be at. And, and, and part, of be able, part of being able to uh, overcome that, uh, that critical incident and that physical uh, um, side effects that come with it is being physically fit, um, you know, having a proper diet, uh, sleeping well, and having the right mindset, right? So I now travel the state um, with a guy uh, who teaches many recognizable uh, um, tactical courses to many hundreds of thousands of uh, law enforcement within the state, and, and I help him pretty much um, I'm actually a guest speaker in one of his classes called a tactical mindset class. And, and the tactical mm. mindset class pretty much we stressed the importance of being physically fit, um, being physically pretty much fitting within your mind to be able to perform your duties as a law enforcement officer. Um, and, and I understand we all have uh, busy schedules. We have families and, life, and, and different lives, but you kind of, you owe it to yourself. You know, there's 24 hours in the day, just one hour a day, you owe it to yourself. Yeah, no, I agree, man. It's like when we're in the Marines, right? Like every, you know, six months, you're having either a CFT yeah. or a PFT, but you're, you're working on your own and you would tell your Marines like, hey, take care of yourself and but work on your own because you can't just be PT in at 06 with us every morning. You better get your own time in. Right. But now as you get out, you don't have, you know, you're a police officer. You don't have somebody who's holding you to the same standards. They have a test, but after that, you're saying you're not having that test all the time. So it's easy with life to to let go of the physical fitness aspect. But like what you're saying, you're saying if, if somebody is not in the peak performance, that's going to be less efficient when they're on the duty. Exactly. When they're trying to perform duties and that could, you know, that could hurt themselves. That could hurt someone else, which is which is crazy. So, I mean, give me some. You said you have some experience, man. Tell me some experiences where the fact that you had mental toughness and some physical fitness that's at peak performance. How did it affect with the incident? Well, um, I've been in many uh, foot chases, vehicle chases, where you know, if I wouldn't be in the at the physical level where I was at, where I was at the time, or where I'm at now, you know, I wouldn't be able to, you know, come out um, in a way that you know, where I wouldn't have gotten hurt, you know. So yeah, I have always, you know, I try to hit the gym, you know four or five times a week at the very minimum. Um, you know, I run three times, minimum three miles. Uh, you know, I keep a balance between, you know, running cardio and, and obviously your weightlifting, which is important. And I, I recently just started um, doing jujitsu a couple months ago. And, man, I wish I, saw that. I, I would have done that many years ago um, because it's truly uh, the best way to describe jujitsu is like having a superpower, you know, when you have a superpower yeah. and, and, and you, you're, you're a trained human being and, and, and you pretty much, you pick a person who's not trained and you can literally do anything with that individual. You know, if they're yeah. trying to hurt you, you know, you don't have to, you know, you don't have to hurt them. You know, you could just 
by your training, you could just pretty much, you know, control yeah. their limbs, their body, yeah, pin them down, you know. And you could also hurt them if awesome. you really wanted to, you know. But hey, obviously, yeah. I'm not trying to do that. One hundred percent. Actually, uh, I'm sorry to cut you off. I'm definitely. I was going to reach out to you about that. I'm trying to start ASAP. I know. Uh, yeah. I think for kids, they can't start until like four years old, right? For yeah. For so I gotta ask. Some gyms usually do a four. Uh, is either four or five. Um, and, and that's because, um, I'm actually trying to get my daughter as well. Whenever she gets that to the age enrolled, uh, I think it's a great, it's a great, because it's a huge ego checker, you know, um, it humbles you. That's the way to this. this oh, 100%. Because you might walk in there I mean, and you're the best thing on earth, but you never know what somebody knows. And, you know, you exactly humble. I like it. You know, the way we say, Hey, you eat some of that humble pie. So it's a great That's opportunity, awesome. man. Yeah, because you could you could have somebody who uh who weighs a buck thirty who's nasty yeah. on the ground versus yeah. somebody who's two hundred pounds all muscle who, who can't roll around and I'm sure you yeah. see it all the time in the gym. I think all I think it's awesome because it's like man. you said, you can't underestimate someone's mind and ability. It doesn't matter about that size. I think that's awesome. That's why I really want to go back. Uh I want to get that humble check. That yeah, humble yeah. that's what I really need. Oh, yeah. I think it's it's good to to humble yourself and then to it's like it's an art, man. It, it definitely it's a lot of physical fitness, believe it or not. I know you're doing it, but I see in the pictures you post on uh, Facebook and everyone's sweaty after a session. I'm like, yeah, no, those guys were getting it, man. There's no way that they're sitting there. It's a good feeling but, afterwards, uh, man. That's awesome, man. And then um, so going back to the mental mental toughness, right? So my opinion and my definition of mental toughness is your ability to process and control your emotions through stressful stressful events, stressful traumatic events, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I do. Um, especially as first responders, uh, law enforcement, uh, we see things that the, the, your normal average citizen does not, you know, when somebody calls 911, we get there and, and, you know, like I, the way I look at it is people don't call us, don't call 911 to invite us to a barbecue. They don't say, Hey, you know, I'm having a <laughs> barbecue. Come over. They don't, they call us because they're in distress or, or they're going through a, a life you know, um, changing situation that something's going on. They have an emergency, you know, somebody's hurt, a loved one is hurt, or they need us to be there. They need a peacemaker to show up. So whatever it may be, whether it's a loud music complaint or whether it's, hey, a shots fire call or uh, a murder, whatever it may be, right? You have to set your mind for that, for that situation. And, and you don't have the entire day to sit there and think about, hey, you know, Cause you have to respond, you know, this is your job. So from the get go, you have to pretty much put yourself in the right state of mind. That's going to either, you know, break you or make you. So if it's a, a yeah. critical incident, a critical call, you know, you have to have the right mentality to, you know, pretty much tell yourself, Hey, I'm going to go there. I'm going to solve the situation and I'm going to go home at the end of my shift. And, and that correlates with your abilities of being physically fit and and being the master of the basics. That's the best way to describe it. Gotcha. You know, you don't have to be, you know, all fancy or whatever tactics, whatever. You just have to be able to master the basic, the fundamentals that you're taught in the military, that you're taught at the police academy. Just master that. And then stay in shape, um, eat good, sleep good, and have a tough mount, pretty much a tough mindset. Yep. And then from your experience, uh, obviously you're training physically, 
you're constantly, I know I've always seen you post, you going at tactical shoots and all that great stuff, right? So you're constantly training that aspect. I mean, you're training your mental. You're constantly doing it. But when, how about during your time out there, you know, working as a law enforcement officer, has it ever just like hit a breaking point where it's just too overwhelming, even with you training constantly mentally and physically? Yeah, I mean, yes, uh, we're all human beings. There's been many ways, many, many times that I have pretty much after a shift, you know, you come home, you're, you're driving home and you're just like trying to decompress, trying to flip that switch, which could be challenging, you know. Have, learning how to switch that, that switch is very important because at the end of the day, we still are still human beings, you know. Um, and, and it's funny because cops usually hang out with other cops. Firefighters usually hang out with other firefighters. And even though we may yeah. be off, we're not really off because when we are together, what we're doing is talking about work. So yep. it's very important to find that <laughs> balance, find that balance and have and have friends from other uh, professions, whether it's teachers, lawyers, um, whatever it may be, a plumber, you know, electrician, you know, and it's hard. And, and it takes time to, you know, find that balance, learn how to find that balance. But, um, maybe I found myself, you know, very stressed out many, 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 many times to the point where, you know, where my sleep was not the best. My diet was not the best. You know, my workouts were horrible because my, my energy levels were, were, um, were not the best, you know, and, and your body is not meant to, to rotate, uh, from schedule. So, you know, going from a two week period of working day mm-hmm. shift then to switch into a two-week period of working night shift. I mean, after a while, after some years, man, you, you're going to start to see a toll. And, and, and it changes your mood. Um, you're going to be more irritable uh, towards your family, your friends, wherever it may be. So, yeah, in the long time, if you're not really taking care of yourself and your mental health, you are going to start to experience some uh, side effects from that. Yeah, for sure. I can imagine. I got buddies who, now who who uh, work out here as police officers. And every time we get together, their, their cop friends come up and they talk about work 24-7. I'm like, man, that's cool. But I, I understand yes. it. you guys are our brotherhood. So it's it's easy to you know smoke a cigarette outside and talk about what happened on shift. So that, but at the same time, you have to level it out, like you said. Yeah. You got to find something else to be doing, uh, whether it be going to the gym, hitting that jiu-jitsu, or just hanging around other people with other professions yeah. and hearing what they got going on to level you out. I think that's great, man. <clears throat> Hold on a second. I just had a brain fart, dude. I had a great question. I was about to follow up with. <laughs> okay, edit it. It's all good. I was gonna say to you, um... okay, gotcha. So with that, what do you do to? Because right now you're saying, hey, get get out there, change your environment a little bit. Is there anything else that really helps? Like anything that you do that that sets you right back to where you need to be to be in the right mindset when you're back at work for that? Yeah. So. um, for me, I, I, I started breathing a lot lately. So talking about that mental toughness, you really have to train your mind. So one of the things that I started doing a lot is a picking up a book. You know, you know, obviously we had pretty busy schedules, but just basically, and I keep them all in my office. Other so books that I, you know that I'm reading, um, you know, this one is from a good friend of mine's lines, Lions of Marja, combat veteran uh, sergeant who pretty much talks about everything that he went through uh, while in combat in Afghanistan. And after, you know, he lost some of his, uh, you know, Marines, 
Um, that's one of the good books, you know, that I read. Um, this one was given to me by you was retired U.S. Marshal that wrote his own book and talks about everything that he went through mentally and physically while chasing some of the world's most dangerous fugitives, right? And obviously, yeah. um, if you don't know who this man is right here, <laughs> um, I highly recommend oh, I'm doing that one right now. Yeah, <laughs> I got the I audio book. I was listening today on my on my rook run. That's awesome. I finished this one uh, a couple of weeks ago. Um, I also finished this first one. Um, I got another. I got some more that I that just came in the mail. So I try to read uh, at least one hour a day. I give myself, and I usually do that towards the end of the night, um, right before I go to re- get rid of bed. Um, get ready to go to bed. I, I read about an hour because it puts me down. Um, what else? Like I said, I'm you know eating good, eating, drinking water, uh, hitting the gym as much as I can, having that balance. I train I train jujitsu three times a week. Uh, I'm actually tomorrow morning I'm doing a, a race uh, for Special Olympics nine miles. Um, it, it just kind of that right there is what allows me to to pretty much uh, get my mind ready for anything because you know running nine miles, ten miles, you know that not everybody is capable of doing that. You know, um, yep. and, and, and it sucks. You know, you have to be physically fit. There's many times where while I'm running, you know, I'm like, why am I doing this? You know, like I could just go home and just chill, drink a beer or hang out on the couch and watch Netflix. But then I remind myself yeah. that I need to be, be I need the best. I need to be the best person of myself. And uh, and after running whatever, five, 10 miles after finishing that run, you know, and after, you know, looking at looking back and say, hey, you know, I didn't quit uh, or hey. It's a, it's a feeling that it gives you a, a good feeling that 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 pretty much hey you challenge yourself physically but mentally we talk about hey mentally that's like the best the most rewarding feeling ever being able to uh, yeah being able to pretty much tell your mind no because your mind just wants you to quit but if you tell your mind no I'm gonna yep. finish this the best feeling ever I was just gonna say man I, I definitely agree because uh. I definitely got out of shape. I, I got really out of shape after I got out the Marines and I just completely gave up on what I loved. I, I used to love going on long runs. I used to love working out, eating really healthy. And then I just went on a down spiral. And as I'm fixing it, I'm getting back on the pavement. And yeah. not only am I like, okay, I'm going to do, do an extra mile because I, I need to better myself. But it's like a therapeutic session for me because oh, yeah. as I'm, I'm doing this run, I'm in the suck. And mentally, I'm going through all my thoughts, everything that's happening in life. But it's exactly what you said. I, I can't quit. I can't quit. Like you're mentally talking to yourself, and it's like a, it's a battle with yourself. It's a conversation with yourself on those long runs or the that long workout, whatever you got going on. And at the end of it, I feel accomplished, and yeah. I feel better because now I know. Okay, well, I'm getting back on it. It's gonna be okay. I'm on my grind, and it just feels good compared to, hey, I'm just gonna do this one mile and I'm gonna turn around and uh, I'm gonna call it quits. And there's yeah. been days that I, like as I tried to get back in shape, I was just like, I'm just gonna hit a mile. I'm not going no more than that. But pushing myself was crazy. Mm-hmm. It's like I can't even explain it, bro. It's it's better than go sitting with a therapist. Sometimes it's really good. The the way I look at it, man, if you do one thing a day that could better yourself, you automatically better. You are automatically way better than your average citizen out on the road in the streets, whatever you may be like. Whether it's going to the gym for ten minutes, um, doing whatever you may be doing a workout or going for a one mile walk. Walking your dog, even, you know, you're already putting yourself aside and apart from the rest of the world. 
that just chooses not to better themselves. Does nothing. Yep. Reading a book for 30 minutes, you know, getting off social media and TikTok and, and whatever, whatever it may be, just getting off that, putting your phone down and doing something to better yourself. Um, you know, if you're a law enforcement officer and if you're only shooting once a year, whenever you do your required qualification, like you're putting yourself at a disadvantage. So, uh, you know, I go to the range twice a month, you know, and then that to me, I still feel like that's not enough, you know, and, and, mm. and that's me. That is me um, buying ammunition out of my own pocket and, and going with friends to try to better ourselves, to try to be the yep. professionals that we're supposed to be, you know. So, and that to me is not, you know, like I was at the range all day yesterday, you know, bettering myself, you know, with the AR-15 platform, you know, even though I wasn't an infantry guy, there you, go. you know, every, every Marine is a rifleman, but I knew one of my weaknesses yep. is the, the AR-15 platform. So I was there all day, you know, and, and at the end of the day, you know, after eight o'clock when I got home, I felt accomplished because I knew I was polishing my skills, bettering myself. So um, just one thing a day, that's all you have to do. If you do that every day, by the end of the month, six months, a year, you're going to be the best version of yourself, no matter what. True, true, true. So going back, because you were talking about books, you, I know you got a book coming out. Has it already released? No, not yet. Not yet. I'm, 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 I'm in okay. the progress. Are we allowed to talk about book. it or no? No, yeah, we can talk about it, yeah. Okay, awesome, awesome. Yeah, I want to say that's awesome, right? So I remember a couple of weeks back, I was talking to Mike Diaz, right? Master Diaz. And he was like, bro, Draco came out with a book. Yeah. I was like, no way. That's awesome. I got to see it. So I saw the post and uh, yeah. I'm waiting. I'm just waiting for it to come out, man, because I'm ready to read it. <laughs> Yo, man, I, I keep it. Um, that's going to pretty much, that's the artwork on the book. Um, you can see it. Yeah, yeah, I see it. So so tell me, the front. what made you want to write a book, bro? So, um, um, well, first of all, let me tell you that... Um, um, having the courage to speak about your life, it, your life trauma, is not easy. Um, mm. especially in public or publicly. So when I first uh, was invited to speak on that podcast back in September of last year, it took me yeah, it took me a while to pretty much, you know, how to think about it, you know, and, and and I wanted to do it. I was very excited to do it, but at the same time, I was very nervous because. It takes uh, it takes a lot of courage and mental strength to be able to openly to the entire world, you know, share your experiences because it's gonna be on social media, or YouTube, you know, Spotify, you know. I don't know who's you know you don't know who's listening or you don't know who's watching those interviews. So that takes a lot of courage. Yep. So after yep. it was released, yeah, um, after it was released, uh, we received some great feedback some some really good feedback from you know people all over the world um you know uh, we we had uh, hundreds of listening hours on spotify and oh, uh, man look at that we were uh, hundreds of views on on youtube and, and and my interview was um till this day is number is the number two most watched um interview in that platform on that channel so oh, uh, my buddy uh ryan uh, the combat veteran who wrote that book ryan rogers he said, hey, man, yeah. I, you, you need to put this on paper. You, you need to. And, and I did. I came home and, and thought about it for a few weeks, kind of dwelled on it. And then obviously at, 
during the master's program, I had to do a lot of writing, man. Lots of writing. Mm. Every week was a paper, you know, 10, 20 pages. So writing has always been natural to me. Uh, you know, in law enforcement, every time we, 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 we complete a call for service or a report, you have to write. So writing has always been a thing for me. So um, I decided that I was going to write my own book. And, and, but I wanted to do it in a, in a way where I have complete control of it. So, you know, you're, you're everybody that, you know, your authors, you know, they go through a publishing house, right? And, and, and that individual, like, let's say you're writing a book, right? And, and I'm, the, I'm, I'm the publishing house. I reach out to you, me and you sit down. You give me all your ideas. I write everything down and I pretty much type everything and I do it for you. So I, I didn't want that. I, I wanted to be in complete control of this process. So I'm writing everything, every chapter, every word, every line in that book is me writing directly into the book. Um, from the editing, from everything in the book is completely my effort, uh, my ideas. The only thing that is not, um, you know, that I haven't had any direct uh, involvement was obviously um, my graphics. And that's because I don't yes. have the skill set to do so, but um, I wanted the picture. I, 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 the idea of it, you know, I, I, I sought it out myself. I put it down on paper and I told my graphic designer, hey man, this is what I wanted. You know, we went over back and forth several images and, and finally I picked the one that I wanted. But um, man, uh, I try to usually, you know, write, um, especially with a busy schedule, me traveling the way I'm traveling too. Um, I try to write at least every Sunday. I'll sit down in my office when mm. I'm kind of decompressed and I just get on in, in the mode. And, and uh, right now I'm about halfway done with the book. Um, and, and you have to remember, uh, it's also very emotional uh, and challenging because the more I'm writing, um, you know, I'm really having to relive some of the experiences that I have been through, you know, um, and my yeah. therapist has said, hey, you know, it's a good thing that you're writing. Actually, writing is very recommended to call it journaling, you know, uh, through your therapist. But, yeah, I man, it's going great. Uh, uh, I don't I don't have an exact date right now on when I'm going to publish. Um, but I do. It is going to be in 2023. Um, it could be the, the summer. It could be fall. But it, it will be out. By the end of this year, I will have the book out. Um, and, and like I said, I'm going to. I don't really, I'm not doing this to, you know, make money or, or sell thousands of copies. Um, I, I yeah. the reason why I'm doing this is to pretty much um, put a message out there that, hey, no matter where you come from, no matter the thing, no matter the challenges that life puts you through, the different failures that you, you know, you could always get back, like get back up and continue to uh, move forward. You know, like, you know, as Marines, you know, we don't quit, you know, so. And it's, and that from the from early on in my life, uh, I've been you know put through some challenges that a lot of people don't know about. Um, yeah, actually, probably not a lot, not like not even close of my friends know about. And and when you pick up when you pick up the book and read the first chapter, you're gonna realize like holy cow, like damn, like it's gonna be a good book. It's gonna be great. Um, I'm very excited to re release it. But I'm also um, there's also some some other items that I'm kind of I'm waiting on, um, you know, to be able to be able to publish this book, um, you know, copyright, you know, having all the rights and yeah. everything. So, but yeah, I'm excited about the project and, uh, 
It will be out very happen. soon. I will, I will keep you guys updated. Bro, I'm excited. Man. I'm so excited. You don't understand. The fact yeah. that, uh, that's it. I'll start with this. Hats off to you, bro. The fact yeah. that you can sit there and put your story, mm-hmm. even if it's comfortable or uncomfortable, you're putting it on paper. So I, I can only imagine how you're feeling when the hard things to write, you're writing them down. And now yeah. it's, it's in black and white. Eventually it's going to come out and your story is going to be there and it's going to be your story. Why? Yeah. Because you made sure that it, you was in control of that story. Because right. uh, if you, I mean, you read David, David Goggins, last book. He's, I mean, he said when he was making his first book that he wanted full control because he didn't want someone else to tell his story and mess it up. And right. that's exactly what you're doing. You're controlling your story. And I think it's, it's going to be awesome because I mean, like you said, there's a lot of stuff that it's hard to get it out. And sometimes you don't want to even tell everybody all the stuff you go through uh, a lot. I mean, we're Marines. A lot of times we keep it to ourselves, and, but I think to get it out there because it shows other individuals who are going through maybe similar situations, maybe worse, or maybe even not that bad. It gives them the sense of hope that, Hey, I'm going to get through this. So I can't wait to see what kind of stories you got coming out. So, cause I know yeah, I, yeah. myself, I mean, on this platform, I use yeah. this to get it out there or get other people to throw it out there because it's therapeutic, man. Awesome. And speaking of platforms, um, I don't want to give it out yet, but I do. I, we are working on, on another project um, uh, because, you know, podcasting is the next thing, right? It's the new thing. Well, that's the thing. So, yeah. So uh, a good friend of mine, two of my good friends of mine and I, we are working on a pretty good project, pretty school, pretty cool, special little project that uh, we hope to pretty much bring on sometime this year. We have... Uh, you know, I don't want to give it out, but yeah, it's going to be very, it's in the works. Yeah. It's going to be, it's going to be good, man. I like it. <laughs> That's awesome, bro. That's so good. It's good. I tell you what, man, it's outstanding. It's great to catch up with you and see that you're doing great things. Uh, we're yeah. definitely going to keep in contact throughout this. Cause I, I have some one-on-one conversations I want to have with you, you know, just about life and just about, you know, the journey. Cause I'm, I'm on my journey climbing in every different direction, but I want to just be leveled out as I do that. So, I definitely going to catch up with you after this, but for anybody who wants to follow you, anybody who wants to check out the book when it releases, how can they get in touch with you? Where they can, where can they follow you at? So, um, very active on social media, um, which, you know, at first I was not really all about it, but I realized that, Hey, you know, I kind of have to, um, but on a professional platform, uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, my first name, John, last name, Drago. Full name Castano, so Drago Castano, um, and I'm, I'm, that's where you can find me on a professional level uh, on LinkedIn. Uh, if you want to follow me on Facebook, just John Drago, and on Instagram, uh, J Drago Nine. Uh, that's pretty much the top the three um, platforms that I use, um, and I will be posting updates as I go within my book. Uh, once I, I I feel like I'm ready to publish and I'm ready to release it. Um, I will have yeah. a pre- pre-order link where you pretty much. And the cool thing about the book project is that I'm, I'm, I'm publishing directly through Amazon. So, oh. you know, who, who doesn't have Amazon nowadays, you know, yeah. you know, we, have, we live in a world with, uh, where, where social media and, and, and iPhones pretty much control us. Right. So you Facts. pretty much one push, one click, and the book will be delivered to your house with, you know, prime. So um, I will push that. I will push that uh, pre-sale, that pre-order link on all my social media platforms. Um, and I'm also going to have a, a, a very limited of copies where I want to have, uh, you know, personalized for my close family and friends for them to have. And uh, eventually, I'm also we're working on a uh, a uh, 
a book signing event, um, probably at a local coffee shop, maybe a restaurant or bar, or maybe, you know, somewhere where we could kind of get together and celebrate this, you know, huge life accomplishment. Um, but yeah, sure. that's pretty much, um, that's where I, uh, that's what I plan on doing as far as the book. Um, and moving forward, it doesn't stop there, you know. Um, you always got to continue to better yourself. So I challenge everybody, yep. keep grinding, keep working hard every single day. Um, every time, every single day is another opportunity to be better and better yourself. So um, whether it's mentally, physically, whether, whether if, you, if you hate your job, then you only you can make change. Only you can change that. If, if, if you hate yep. where you work, 905, if, you, if you're miserable, you know, then you could only you could change that. So that's the, pretty much the best advice that I could give anybody. And um, start training. Get after it, you know? Yeah. Hey, I got one last question. I totally yeah. forgot. It's the bonus round question, right? So if you could change it up and change mm -hmm. your profession to anything in the world, what would it be? Nothing. Uh, I mean, it's, it's been so rewarding for me. Um, I would do it all over again. Um, and in 30 years, wherever I decide to retire, like I'm still going to continue doing it part-time or, you know, whatever it may be. Um, but at, at the top of my head, um, I think God put me in this path for a reason. And uh, I, I don't see myself doing anything else, uh, whether it is, you know, either law enforcement or, you know, right now helping, you know, the mission that I'm doing right now is, is helping veterans, but I'm di directly helping veterans that are involved within the criminal justice system and also training officers on how to uh, be able to engage with these veterans. And I, I'm still sworn. I still work um, um, with, with, with a law enforcement agency here, very local where I'm at. Um, I'm actually uh, working in a couple of days. So I put a lot of hours during the week. I'm very busy and um, keep up with all my training and just trying to be the best version of myself, you know, uh, as a human being and obviously as a, a law enforcement officer. How are you, brother? Hey, you're a true inspiration. You got me motivated right now. That's great, dude. Let's so, go, man. <laughs> man. That's really it, man. Yeah. <laughs> I'm truly happy. I'm truly humbled. And I'm truly appreciative to have you on the show. Thanks again, brother. We'll catch you next week on another episode of Resilience on the Rocks. Sweet, I'm so tired. Sweet, I'm so